there's a media narrative and a political narrative about why people move that is only a very small part of the story. Getting better acquainted is not recorded in studio conditions. That's part of the aesthetic. It's part of what makes this show work, generally speaking. It does mean that sometimes when recordings have happened in the public place, there is background sound to contend with. And this is one of those episodes. So be aware of that going in. I feel like I've done a lot of work to make the sound as good as possible. So hopefully this will be less of a frustrating experience than it could have been. But if you are someone who gets frustrated by background sound, this episode may frustrate you. That said, it's a great conversation. That background sound hopefully reminds us that these are real moments captured in time and you get the best or the worst of that moment. It is that moment. It's the only moment available and therefore the environment that it's recorded in, the moment in time that is captured is the right one. It's always left incomplete and it's always sort of a footnote in a bunch of other male stories. Right. Because she's in the Iliad and she's in the Odyssey, but she's sort of decoration. And she's, she gets, I think she's got about six appearances in the Iliad and she basically says the same thing every time. And it's all like, oh, woe is me, I've caused such destruction. Why did you ever let me come here? Why was I ever born? Ugh. Just so boring. <laughs> and if people talk about her like she's kind of the opposite, like the most beautiful woman in the world. She's infallible. She's, well, she's not. She's, she's highly blameworthy, but at the same time, highly desirable. Right. And that sort of, the Greeks have a word for it that means beautiful evil. There is a joke mathematical unit called the millihelen, which is a measurement for beauty. And one millihelen is the amount of beauty required to launch a ship. Hello. I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Amy. Hello, Amy. Hello. So the first question that I ask everybody is, how do you know me? I think we met at a D&D, devoted and disgruntled satellite event. Right. And I had called a session on kind of grappling with gatekeeping, because I was coordinating or curating a night of performance at the South Bank Centre for a WOW party with the Gap Salon, the gender performance salon that I run. And you came and you were talking about stand-up tragedy and sort of trying to figure out how to balance an evening artistically, aesthetically, sort of stylistically, and in terms of the diversity that we both want to see on stage. So we had a, I think we had a very good conversation about that. It was a really good conversation. I don't, when, every time I have those kind of conversations, I'm always sort of hyper-worried about whether I'm dominating them, as I pretty much have all of the, the boxes of privilege, right? Uh, <laughs> so I'm always kind of like worried that I want yeah. to programme diverse lineups at my night, yeah. but I don't want to go along to, to groups that are talking about diversity and dominate those groups. So it's, <laughs> it's complicated. I think any, any individual wants to see more diversity is who they are with all of the boxes that they check or don't check yeah. and then it's about finding the other people who complement that but you're right I think it's really important to be aware of talking about that's it I mean it's complicated because it's it's what it is is it's sure I'm I'm in the right camp because I want uh, you know whatever you know whatever people feel comfortable calling me ally or like letting me in the movement whatever but I'm socialised as a man so so I'm trying to I'm trying to consciously stop subconsciously doing something that I may or may not be doing yeah yeah it's hard to have a conversation when you're doing all that in your head yeah I mean maybe that's one of the reasons I started doing this project of like I'm actually allowed to have a conversation in this space and I don't have to worry too much about but actually I do still have to worry about dominating it See, already I'm worried that I'm dominating this one. So yeah, that's how we met, which was a D&D event. March-ish, I think. Yeah, so for, I guess we should say, because not everybody who listens to this is going to have any kind of knowledge of what a and d event is, so I course, guess we should yeah. give them a bit of context for that. Yeah, they're uh, an open space conference run by Improbable Theatre. It's probably the most distinctly 
I can put it. That was really well said, yeah. yeah. I've been sort of plugging it, actually, recently to people that I've been just in contact with other artists. Yeah. Like, what is that thing? And I'm like, too, oh, you actually. should come. Three of the things I'm doing this year have sort of come out of that last right. year, so come, it's great. Yeah. Um, but it's basically a bunch of independent artists who get together and talk about whatever they want to. And right. the agenda is set by the attendees sort of as the first order of business, and then we just go and do it for three days. And it's, it's I found it last year really sort of and Please take your seats challenging into the festival. and fun and just full of people, which is exactly what I needed having just moved here right. <laughs> six months before. Right. So for listeners, obviously we're in the Royal Festival Hall because <coughs> a posh man keeps interrupting us to, to explain <laughs> that we're here. Um, and yeah, that was the second D&D I'd, I'd ever been to that mm. I met you. I've been to sort of satellite events where it's not right. three days. Like you're, oh you're, yeah, so the I've D&D only eight... that's coming up later this month is the big annual three-day one. It's right. the tenth one they've done. If only I'd got um, myself to, then... go to be there. <laughs> You might still make it there. They don't sell out. It's as many people as they can fit sure. in Sure. Whoever attends yeah. is the right people. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. And all that stuff, which I yeah. really enjoyed. So I've really yeah, enjoyed cool. that. I've really enjoyed the process of yeah. doing it. It's kind of like, I, I don't know how to describe it particularly. I don't want to go into it too much, but it's kind of like non-hierarchical uh, decision-making or discussion-making. That's what I like about it, is that everyone has an ownership to it. Yeah, and equally, if it's not working for you, you can just go. Just go, yeah. Just, you know, get up and go to a different session, because there's loads of stuff going on. Right, so it's not like you go to a conference and and everyone signs up for the official lectures. You make your lectures from Mm -hmm. the people who are there. That's basically probably the best way of communicating to people who haven't been there. So that's how we met. One of the things that happened when we met mm-hmm. is that you told me that you were doing a, a, a project called the Helen Project mm-hmm. and I was like oh I want more theatre in mm-hmm. stand-up tragedy and that might 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 fit with us and then we had you, you guys yeah. along so what is the Helen Project? Well that was perfect timing when we met because you were doing a Greek tragedy night right <laughs> a couple of months after I first heard about stand-up yeah. tragedy so I emailed you to say hey by the way I've got this thing I'm doing that I co-wrote. Yeah, that's right. So it's co-written with Megan Cohen, who yes. coincidentally I met in Edinburgh yep. this year, and whose show I was also attracted to because mm. it was about Greek myths. So obviously I'm a bit of a Greek myth fan. Oh yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> yeah, running that night around the theme of Greek myths, though, mm. with stand-up tragedy, it turns out audiences not so much. Uh, <laughs> hard, hard, hardest, that was the s- smallest audience yeah. we've had, really. And it was the um, first night of the World Cup. Right, we were up against the football <laughs> and... Greek yeah. myths versus football. I mean, I know which yeah. one wins, well, but the, yes. the public have a different, different yeah. opinion. In the, in the long, the, the what is that? The long term, in the scheme of things, yeah. I think Greek mythology wins out. But right. Well, I have more positive connotations with Greek mythology. Mm. I'll put it that way. But, I'm, <laughs> but I know that many people love football, yeah. and I don't I'm mean get some to be disparaging. Scholars writing in to, to tell it. me that uh, football is, in fact, as old as Sophocles. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, sure. I don't Bring know. Bring it on, internet. <laughs> Anyway, so anyway, yeah. the Helen Project is a sort of postmodern, fragmented, feminist retelling of Helen of Troy's story. And I kind of use retelling loosely. I'm not convinced anyone's actually told her story from her point of view. Mm. I feel like it's always, it's always left incomplete, and it's always sort of a footnote in a bunch of other male stories. Right. Because she's in the Iliad and she's in the Odyssey, but she's sort of decoration, and she's she gets. I think she's got about six appearances in the Iliad, and she basically says the same thing every time. And it's all like, oh, woe is me! I've caused such destruction. Why did you ever let me come here? Why was I ever born? Ugh. Just so boring. <laughs> and if people talk about her like she's kind of the opposite, like the most beautiful woman in the world, she's infallible, she's, well, she's not, she's, she's highly blameworthy, but at the same time, highly desirable. Right. And that sort of, the Greeks have a word for it that means beautiful evil, um, which is sort of the same idea as Pandora, and it's something that they... I've been reading a lot of books, it's delightful, about uh, Helen of Troy, um, that sort of talk about this this idea that beauty in women is sort of inherently dangerous and the outward beauty sort of belies the toxicity inside of them. Whereas with men in Greek myth, like the Greek heroes, the, their outward beauty is 
indicative of their inner beauty. Right, okay. Right, and so the, the men are beautiful, beautiful, and the women are beautiful, evil. Right. So, so that sort of, that rankles me. <laughs> so Megan and I made a piece about it. Um, it's sort of Helen, a very modern Helen. She speaks, actually, some of the Helens. I don't think I've said this yet. There are five Helens. Right. Some of the Helens are very modern and very sort of like not taking shit, very contemporary sounding, like if Helen was on Friends or something. Right, right. Right? And there is just explaining herself. And then there are a couple of very lyrical Helens who are in the middle of the war who are much more caught up in the epicness of what they're going through. And their language is still, like they make references to refrigerator lights. Uh, it's very anachronistic and still quite modern, but still lyrical in a way that sort of feels a bit more Euripidean, I guess. Right. And then there's the fifth Helen, who is the face of Helen, sort of the conceptual idea of who this woman is that's been shaped throughout the ages. So everything from the way that the ancient Greeks talked about Helen to the way that scholars talk about the ancient Greeks talking about Helen to the contemporary celebrities like Halle Berry and Rihanna who are compared to Helen of Troy when they have two men fighting over each other. Right. There's Helen of Troy in The Simpsons. She's everywhere. She's on Wikipedia. Oh, there's... <laughs> this is one of my favorite things. There is a joke mathematical unit called the millihelen, which is a measurement for beauty. And one millihelen is the amount of beauty required to launch a ship. <laughs> right, that's funny. So Helen has a, a beauty rating of 1.182 or something, 86 milli Helens, because that's how many ships she launched. Right. And then you can have negative Helens, um, which like is the amount of beauty. Like being clapped. In the yes. <laughs> negative milli Helens would be the amount of beauty, or negative beauty, so ugliness, required to launch a ship in the other direction. Right. <laughs> so to like get away from her. And it's. Just stuff like that is like it's so sort of how funny, but how and how clever, but also how sort of indicative of how we think about women and beauty and power right. and, and how uncomfortable people are with women having any kind of power, right. whether it's whether it's a power they choose for themselves or not, and whether Helen had any choice over how people perceived her and what anybody decided beauty was, and that they decided right. that she was the ultimate beauty. Right, I mean and the idea of to fight a war about right. it for years. So, like the idea of an, an ultimate beauty in itself is questionable, but then that with everything else on top of it, I mean, thinking about it, every time I can think of that I've come into contact with the the idea of Helen, it's always in a tokenistic uh, kind of show, like it does. She's in, she's in Marlowe's Doctor Faustus, mm -hmm. isn't she? Just like briefly, like oh, the bit, you know, you want the best-looking mm -hmm. woman. There, there she is, yep. and then away yep. to the next thing. You yep. know, she's she's not a character. She's always a prize. Right. She's an object. Right. Yeah. Right. So we made her the subject of this right. play. It's as much about the creators, and to the extent we can, in whatever format we're doing it, the creators and the audience constructing an idea of Helen through these fragments because you put together the text in a new way every time so far every time we've done it so we've had it as a sort of five woman ensemble piece where all the five Helens are on stage at the same time doing sort of interwoven monologues and then that's sort of in a proscenium version and then we did the same cast this was a workshop at Diva Fest in San Francisco in 2013 uh, same cast, two weeks later, we did an immersive sort of choose-your-own-adventure yeah. thing where they each chose sort of four sets of two pieces and they would hold them up to the audience and say, do you want the piece about home or do you want the piece about adventure? Right. And then the audience would just point to one and Helen would do that piece and then walk away. Or stay and the audience would walk away and they could find another Helen. There were five of them floating around. We just took all the seats out of this little studio um, and put a bed in one corner and a chair in one corner and a mirror over here and a suitcase over there. And we just sort of like let the audience roam around in there for 45 minutes. And it, uh, that, was, that's, that was very early and I think that there's something about that that is what I want to do with it. Right. Because having the audience choose what part of the story they hear is sort of so fundamental to constructing Helen as an idea and how we create this myth of this woman and how she remains relevant as in our culture 
and how we could remake her in a way that's maybe more fair or more interesting or more uh, empowering. But it's still us making her, isn't it? Oh, yes, absolutely. That's the thing. Mm -hmm. Still, I mean, but then it's hard. It's it's proper full subjectivity, Mm. right? Which I guess is in theory men are given and women Mm. are not so much in art. Uh, Even even men, you can't ever really communicate your own self Mm -hmm. to everybody. Um, sure, men get given the opportunity to do it much more, uh, and you know, it, men have written history and all of that stuff. But there yeah. is that essential. Oh yeah. You can never know somebody else. You can only yeah. ever know yourself. Yeah. If you can know yourself. If you can, yeah, right. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I find out who I am by by having conversations. So I, 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 I'm a pretty fragmented kind of guy, mm-hmm. I guess. But yeah. So that. So and that project. Uh, the, the Helen Project yeah I mean I guess well I'll, I'll tell you what I'll ask you the second question I ask everyone mm-hmm. and then I'll ask you some follow up stuff about okay. that so the, the second question I ask everybody is uh, what do you do now ah okay uh, I am sort of wrestling with whether or not I'm a director right um, I have been saying I'm a director for about six years since I left university before that I was saying I was an actor but that's and then I was a stage manager and then that is maybe a producer-ish kind of person, but and a writer. But so I'm I'm kind of all of those things, but not one of those things. Right. And I I'm, I think I'm going to stop saying I'm a director because people then expect me to take a script and direct it. Right. And that's not what I okay. do. I haven't done that in a while, and I probably won't do it again for a, a long time. I think I'm I've got about eight different projects that I'm making from scratch from an idea with a group of people. So you're kind of devising and I, things. Well, it's, it's sometimes devising, it's sometimes co-writing. One of the things I'm working on is a verbatim interview piece. So there's six of us, and we've got this idea, and we're interviewing people, and then we'll write, in sort of air quotes, um, edit those interviews into a piece that is sort of a verbatim performance with probably movement and music. So it's, is that directing? Yeah, <laughs> I think so. But then, yeah, who, I think who, it is. Who, but it's also not what, what people define. think of when you say I'm a director. Well, I call myself. <laughs> I mean, I I have that a similar problem mm. in that I do a lot of different things, mm. and so I I've broadly called myself a storyteller, right? That's yeah. what's on my business cards. Mm-hmm. But people don't expect me to be what I am when yeah. I say storyteller, right? Yeah, because they, they think I'm going to be like you know a, a storyteller. Yeah. Right? What what you think? What I think yeah. when I use that word? Right. I mean, and so. Yeah. That, that's the you know what what would the word you'd use yeah. Yeah. instead of director to to, to I don't know a theater maker I guess but nobody do. knows what that is. <laughs> well, theater, theater makers are all, I mean dramaturge people use that word. I don't know if you come across that one. That was always the one people were saying yeah. at uni for devised pieces was dramaturge. Oh really? Yeah. That's interesting. Mm. Yeah, that's oh, man. I don't think anybody. Well, I call it a dramaturg. There you go. I can't spell. I can't yeah. pronounce but these no, things. But I only I see think them nobody knows down. how to pronounce it, and nobody knows what it is. Right. <laughs> and I don't think anybody gets paid to do it. No, I mean maybe a few very lucky people, but boy, right. there's not a whole lot of budget lines that say dramaturg. Right. The budgets I've ever seen. <laughs> right. And if you say that to somebody at a party, they're just going to look at you really oh, blank. Right. Right. Well, I went for an eye test, and they asked me what I did, and I was like, "Oh, I'm a theater maker." And they're like, "Oh, what? What is? What do you mean? What is that?" Uh, you just sort of go through, okay, you know, live theatre, no, not movies, no, well, sort of, okay, fine, the they West End. They didn't know what theatre was. Well, I mean, a theatre maker, I'm I, not I eventually, entirely eventually got to, like, oh, theatre director, and they knew what that was, right. and because they'd seen a play once at school, right. loved it, and never went back. It was the most fascinating eye test I've ever had. Wow, yeah, this sounds much more interesting than most yeah. of my eye tests yeah. I've ever had. Um, maybe, yeah. maybe I should start trying to have proper yeah. conversations with my, my opticians. You don't really quite know what to call yourself, but theatre maker yeah. is the yeah. thing, and I think it's, that I works. Actually. I think it does. I think it's. I think it is directing, but with a dash of writing and uh, a heap of sort of idea generation. Yeah, it's sort of. It's directing ideas. It's a directing plays I've thought of that right. I haven't made yet. Right. That is that has little to do with sort of more traditional directing plays that other people have written already. Well, it fits. Up, I mean, if you're a, a theatre maker, it means you can also be a theatre. Like you write and you direct, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. those are two things that are part of the process of making theatre. Yeah. So it fits fits yeah. nicely. Yeah. Okay. So if any listeners are doing similar things and have a word for it. 
<laughs> Let us know. <laughs> but you're but you're a theatre maker, mm-hmm. in, uh, but you and you're in London. Yeah. Um, but you don't have the general London accent. Um, I don't. No, so, I. I grew up in California. Right. Uh, I started saying I'm from Leeds via San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> My family is from Leeds. My parents met at high school in Leeds. Right. Um, I was born near Manchester, and then when I was nearly five, we moved to California, just outside of San Francisco. Uh, well, just outside by California standards. About 45 minutes from San Francisco, actually. So I grew up in nice, safe, small not so small anymore, um, suburban town with it, you know, in a good school district and all that. Um, so I, I grew up there. I was there from 5 to 29, minus four years at university in Southern California, and a year of that, I was back in Manchester. We've got some great We've got very um, dramatic backing music here. Yes. I mean, My this is some ba- it's Beethoven. <laughs> I know it's Beethoven, but it's... <laughs> It's. I think it's because the sounds on the TV over oh, there. Oh, that makes perfect sense. So, and there's a guy. There's a guy watching it, so I can't ask Aww. him to stop. <laughs> it's great. It's sort of like so many stories in this podcast. It's like us talking, and then also everything going on around. Well, us. <laughs> that is true. I mean, and that's something I do like to yeah. have in the shows, although maybe not quite with the the volume with the, yeah. of the music. But yeah, <laughs> always pause and go. And we find, could uh, do that somewhere else if you want. What do you think? I think it's probably going to be doing this for a while. It's pretty, and it's a pretty empty room, so... We could just go down the other end of it. It's still... Yeah. Let's see. Let's pa- We'll pause it and yeah. see. When you hear us again, we'll be somewhere. Maybe we'll have music in the background. Maybe we won't. <laughs> so, yes, we are in a better location, in a way. I mean, we've still got... I think... Luckily, that, that TV's not turned on the volume... So we can we can now see see what's happening in the room that we could hear before, but you guys listening can't. So you're you're uh-huh. right. You can hear in the background a few chatting. Right. So yeah, we we were yes. getting into. I think I was saying vi- the long version of where I'm from. Right. So you you <laughs> it was from Leeds via San, San Francisco. Right? right. Yes. So I think I had got to in California from the age of five to twenty nine except for a year that I spent at the University of Manchester when I was 21. But I've actually never lived in London before. But I've lived in England before. But anyway, yeah, that's sort of that's sort of the impetus of this hyphenated project that is the verbatim thing I was talking about before. Right. We've got this group of people who are third culture kids, uh, and that's sort of people who grew up in a different culture than their parents did uh, and kind of created their own culture out of different influences. So I'm sort of, I sound American, but I'm English and American, and some of my collaborators are Turkish and Australian and English, and uh, Chinese and Australian, and Pakistani family, but born in England and really from Romford, and uh, French, but grew up in Canada and the Middle East, and um, Italian but grew up in Singapore, or went to school in Singapore and Hong Kong at a young age and then came back to Italy. And now everybody lives in London. It's kind of amazing, these stories that... And we're all artists and we all found each other at this D&D event last year. Right. Um, because we just ended up in, well, I called the session on these kind of stories and a dozen people showed up. And I was like, wow, these are... Everybody is... These kind of people are everywhere. So it, it's really kind of exciting to find those stories and to find the things that we have in common. It was a really, really intense conversation, actually. It was a lot of sort of just immediately recognizing that we're all kind of grappling with this idea of where is home and what are we doing here and where do we belong and kind of finding that so deeply in common with people who were from kind of India and Kenya and then came to London. It's like, well, I've never been to either of those places, but I totally get what that struggle is. Right. So to make you, to, to be hyphenated, you yeah. have, your parents are, are from a different culture than the one that you yeah. grow up in. I wonder, actually, maybe this is something I just think about with the title of the project, because hyphenated is 
feel like it makes more sense in American context because people in America are African American or Korean American or Japanese American. Right. Okay. Um, and that sort of uh, President Roosevelt said something about there's no room in this country for hyphenated Americans. Uh, yeah, like the one that everybody likes, Teddy Roosevelt. Come on. Well, actually, everybody likes both the Roosevelt, but all of them. People like a lot of people. Yeah, but it's true. Most of but them have I said really terrible things. I was surprised to find <laughs> that he had said that about people. I like it's the opposite of the what's on the Statue of Liberty, right? The right. Bring me your huddled message. It's like, no, there's no room for people like you. Now, once we get to our sort of manifest destiny in American history, it's like, that's it. We just want the people who are here now. Everyone else is suddenly a foreigner. That's a context that I'm bringing to it that right. maybe doesn't make a lot of sense here. So I, I need to. No, it's an interesting question because, in, in a way, like, because one of the things that interested me about what you said then is that, in a way, everybody is growing up in a different culture to the uh, one that their parents were, right? Nice. Like, because time, yeah. in, in a time sense. And I'm someone who I lived in, I've, I've moved between England and Wales a lot, right? Which is not geographically particularly far you know culturally it's very different and culturally I mean accent wise it's very different and so I guess in a way when I was growing up in Cardiff with English parents I was hyphenated in that for that duration of that time but it gets really complicated because you move around so you grew up in America Mm -hmm. right that's your different context but now you're back in your parents context right Yeah. yeah But, as you say, it's really different. Because when we came back, we made a, a number of trips back to England to visit sort of extended family, especially grandparents. So whenever I would come back to Leeds, it was very... It was my grandparents' Leeds. It wasn't sort of like we weren't going out clubbing. It wasn't contemporary Leeds. It was sort of the life that they had made for themselves there. So it was not... I mean, it was things that were on the television were contemporary, but... It, it sort of feels like it's of a different time right. than if I went to Leeds now and like if I tried to go live in Leeds now it would be very very different from visits to family so it's I think that's really interesting sort of the way that time plays a part in the way we all grow up in a different culture than our parents ultimately right. yeah well, time's a funny one for me as well because my, my dad was 58 when I was born, so he's like 90 now. So his his context is different from my mum's context because there's 20 years between them. And so, I mean, he fought in... Well, not, he didn't literally fight, but he was in the Second World War. He was a part of that generation, that experience. I, I was, you know, born in a very different world, right, from, from the one he was born in. So, yeah, I mean, this idea of hyphenated is an interesting... I mean, I'm, uh, that seems... Now I feel like I'm appropriating uh, people's kind of, like, uh, cultural backgrounds and saying, oh, I can be a part of that for having no, no, no diversity at all. So no, I, I think it's quite I'll an interesting question to... <laughs> to as, well, for me as a creator, to think about how do people who don't consider themselves to have a complicated cultural background identify with this piece... Um, maybe that's a way in. Right, because, I, I mean, actually, it's funny because you could collaborate with Megan and actually one of the things that really touched me with the piece that I saw that she did in Edinburgh was it's, it's about home and it was about, like, asking people to say, you know, to, 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 to sort of talk... She, she goes through different times of, like, when you might... how you might feel about home and I, I fitted into the one of, like, I don't know. Right? Yeah, I don't know yeah. what home means. I don't know where I feel at home. Yeah. When I saw her show, I was very happy to be sitting next to someone who sort of also had the same kind of questions as I did. So we were just the last two at the very end with our hands still up all the way through that section. And we finally put them down when she says something like, you know, put your hand down if you don't actually know what the world means or you don't think that such a thing really exists. Okay. Right. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, that, and that's me too, right? Yeah. But, but, but uh, it's not... It's not many of my contemporaries. It's not many of the people I know. Every, yeah. Everybody seems to have access to this idea of home. 
and that I'm sure to somebody else with an even more fractured idea of home I would seem very comfortable and, and, and relaxed in yeah. my world right yeah. I mean I guess I, I'm, yeah. I guess I am comfortable in my culture I, I certainly can walk around in this country and be treated like yeah. a person from this country right? yeah. I'm homogenous yeah. to, from the outside yeah. and that's and me too, and that's something I've, I'm kind of, I'm very eager to explore in this new version of Hyphenated. I wrote, I was working on this idea, that's why I went to the University of Manchester in my last year of university, because I was writing a, an undergrad thesis that I called Hyphenated, and it was all about me, and my sort of British Americanness. This new version is much more about, it's just wider, because I'm not 22 anymore, and everything's right. not about me. Right. <laughs> Hooray! I've grown up a little. I'm really aware that I can, as a British person, moving to America when I was five, I quickly adapted and learned to pass as an American, and now that I'm back, it's sort of not a problem that I'm sort of, that I have an accent, and I don't when I don't want to. When I'm just like buying groceries or whatever, I can do like, excuse me, where's the cheese in in an English accent. Right. It's not any kind of regionally specific thing. It's sort of vaguely northern, but not Yorkshire exactly. I don't know what the heck accent it is. It's I mean, from I'm absolutely lo- nowhere, England. I lost my Cardiff accent when oh, I when I when shit. I went to university because I don't I didn't mean to. Mm, yeah. I can go back into it, but I I have to go back into it rather mm. than. Mm rather than having it and then replacing it with, yeah. with English. Yeah. Like. I think about it far too much. <laughs> like, what accent am I, am I using right now? Can I use this British word in my American accent? Or will that just sound ridiculous? Can I use this word and just say it in an English accent? Or will that sound ridiculous? Right. When I'm with my, my English family, what accent am I using? I sort of go in and out of, of the way I normally speak and the way that I speak with them. And it's very strange hybrid. But I'm, you know, it's complicated as things feel for me. They're not, it's not contentious. It's not traumatic. Right. Um, in, in the way that other people's hybrid experiences are much more difficult than right. mine. Because you're, because you're a, a white American in yeah. London where, yeah. I mean, London's a very diverse place, mm-hmm. but uh, which makes it easier probably to be an American here yes. than probably Leeds. I think so. Right? I think so. Uh, because everybody's mm-hmm. used to everybody being different to a certain extent. Yeah. And, but you're the kind of different that is also kind of not different. So that's a I'm really... definitely non-threatening difference. Right. You're, yeah. Right. Yeah. You're, we know you're... what Americans are and whether we like them or not. <laughs> right. I mean... And, and we I... at least, you know, I feel like it's been mostly a benefit to go around like taking over the world in my American accent. The only thing that is a, a tiny drawback is that people assume that I'm going to leave because they assume that whatever visa I might be on will expire and I'll All just right. go away. But... For the record, You're a citizen. <laughs> I'm, I'm a British citizen right. first, so I'm not going anywhere. But also, I mean, th- th- I know a few American people who've actually, over recent years, found it quite a lot of anti-American feeling within the really? British public. I don't know if that's been your experience. Not yet. <laughs> uh, well, hopefully not at all. Right? <laughs> but now um, I'm on the internet on a podcast. Who knows? <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Yeah, I mean, certainly visa issues and stuff, mm. a lot of people have been having a lot of problems with that from America, which you don't have that issue at all because you're a citizen. Yeah. But, I mean, this country is sadly trying to close its borders. Mm. I, I hope it doesn't succeed. Yeah. But I've had a disgustingly easy time getting across borders. Like, when I moved here last year, I just sort of put my passport on the automatic reader and the, the computer recognized me and let me into the country. Right. And it was probably one of the most anticlimactic moments of my life. It's like, I've just moved 6,000 miles, and I don't even get a stamp or a human being saying, welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, it's really nice that I can just waltz in. And, and as a and British so citizen, you can yeah. just waltz, waltz all over Europe, right? right oh, too. yeah. So. Absolutely. Yeah, I could go and... If I spoke any other languages, which I don't because I'm American, <laughs> which isn't really fair, actually. Hey, I studied I'm, three different languages, I, I, I don't I didn't speak manage anything. to learn any either, and I'm not American, so... <laughs> what white people the world over are being rubbish at learning other people's languages, eh? Yeah. <laughs> it's because of Google Translate, so I'm going to blame that. Well, yeah, that and, you know, 
English being the a language that basically you can be lazy with. Yeah, you really if, can. If you're born with a work. language that you can't be lazy with, you have to learn other languages. Yep. I mean, I'm not saying that we should be lazy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm saying it's privilege. It's I guess. just yeah. It's just that people are lazy. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Or you know, it's you can do that, or you could do something else you want to do, and what's more necessary to you. So with this hyphenated project, you yeah. met lots of different people who also had hyphenated experiences, mm-hmm. but but are more, I guess, more ethnically diverse, more culturally mm-hmm. diverse. Yep. And so, as you say, with more complicated hyphenations. Yes. Yeah, and yet so many of the same themes emerge for all of us. Um, it's really interesting that we've got a little bit of sort of double representation. A couple of people have experiences in Australia, so hearing them both talk about Australia is quite interesting. Ah. And we're by no means done kind of getting our ensemble together. Right now there are six of us, and we've launched a viral storytelling project where we, each, six, each of the six of us, will interview someone, and then we'll ask them to interview a friend. It sort of came about one of our collaborators said at a meeting, well, every TCK knows another TCK. And it was like, ah, that is how we get the stories. Because we've been sort of going round and round with how do we get funding to do the interviews, you know, to buy the recording equipment and to pay ourselves for the 10 hours it takes to do and transcribe every interview. And how do we get that in order to make the script, in order to get the theater on board once they've read the script? Because nobody wants to talk to you until you have a script, because that's just the way that theater works, generally. Sadly, it's not the way that I make theater, but that's just the way it goes. So we're sort of going around that by crowdsourcing, basically, the story gathering. And then we'll have enough to make a script, to show a theater, to get some space, to get a little in-kind support, to get an Arts Council grant, to then do more interviews that that kind of complete it. And then we can really get going on the, the main thing and to make, I want to make a bit, about a 90-minute piece that is verbatim text and movement and music, a very specific idea for some music that is, if every character has sort of a line or a melody, that then all of those melodies kind of fugue together at the end and create right, this nice. massive complicated, gorgeous piece of music. And then I want to tour that whole thing around the UK. Because I think these are stories that we found in London that are really common in London and are much less common around the rest of the country. And that's where people are voting about whether or not different kinds of people should be led into the country. And without ever having met, maybe, some of these different kinds of people. Or even if, I mean, uh, the, the it's almost sadder than that in that uh, in London there are all of these different groups of people, but they more or less communicate with each other and interact with each other, whereas there will be hyphenated people all around the yeah. UK, but they won't necessarily be as part of uh, the wider community. There, will, yeah. like, there are pockets of, mm-hmm. of people. And of course, there's 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 diversity. There's yeah. inter- it, there's, there's, there's oh, yeah. it's not as as clear cut as segregation, but mm, right. there is there is not enough mixing between the people who are voting yeah. uh, for bad policies <laughs> and yeah. the people who are suffering as a result yeah, of those absolutely. bad policies. Yeah. yeah, I think there's a general sort of there's a media narrative and a political narrative about why people move that is only a very small part of the story, right? There's a lot of, I don't know, I think people do move and and need things, certainly, but hardly anybody wants to move to a different country and then figure out the benefit system. That's That sounds awful, right? <laughs> right? It's That's not the goal, that's not what people are trying to do. Um, but it, it seems to be what the government thinks all immigrants are trying to come and take advantage of the state, and it's it's a lot more it's a lot more nuanced than that, and it's a lot more people coming in from other places is a lot more exciting than that. Bring all kinds of new ideas, and that's sort of how humanity has developed through the ages is by the sort of cross pollination. Right. This country is a country of, of immigrants, the same as yeah. every country, right? Absolutely. I mean, to yeah. a certain extent, every country yeah. is, 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 is made up of a population yeah. 
who are made up of lots of different populations. Yeah. It's a beautiful and, yeah. as you say, important thing. And uh, yeah. I, I, I am flabbergasted at the way this, yeah. this, this society is treating fellow human beings who are just trying to get through life the same way as we are, right? It's yeah. pretty horrible. And it's, it's funny, I sometimes wonder I sometimes wonder how anybody gets to be that way that they're so afraid of anything that's different. But I also get I also wonder how I got to be this way, that I'm so sort of drawn to anything that's different. And I'm so intrigued by different people's experiences and things that I don't understand and things that I haven't experienced. What what is it that made that made us diverge so greatly. At what point is it? Is it that I was taken six thousand miles from home when I was four, or is it? Is it? Is it that and a hundred other things? I don't know. That don't that's know. a hard question. It's, well, I will never have the answer to that question. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe that's why you make work, right? Like, well, absolutely. That, that's that. absolutely why this piece exists and continues to. I mean, I started working on this idea in two thousand and seven, and it's. It's definitely something I'm... I'm going to make this piece about it, and then I probably will make some more pieces about it. Right. <laughs> In a more sort of specific way. Right now, the interviews that we're seeking out are very sort of... It's a, a social survey of, of as many different kinds of experiences and stories as we can find with this sort of central common theme. But I think as we do that very broad research, I might find things that become the next play I want to do that are that somebody's one person's very specific story that really speaks to me might become another play right but we'll see I think I don't know that's the beauty of your Batum work I think which I've never done before so I'm, I'm guessing but I think that's pretty much part of the course for me I try not to do things I know how to do yeah so verbatim <laughs> theatre for anyone who's wondering what that is is oh, yes, uh, you. you record it doesn't have to be conversations interviews with people and then you basically reproduce their words <laughs> on stage verbatim right verbatim that's, that's the ah, thing you say it verbatim I don't know how to say Amazing. anything pronunciation wise <laughs> I tell you I, I'm I, fascinated by how people pronounce things differently yeah I mean I just what happens with me is I try and pronounce something one way and then I immediately say it an alternative <laughs> way and then hope that people will give me the nod about which yeah, of the two yeah. is right just do it twice um, why not but you know I, all the <laughs> yeah, I mean, pr- pronunciation is certainly not something that is my strong suit. But yeah, I mean, so that's what it is. It's when you take somebody else's real life words and yeah. make them remake them on yeah. stage, right? What, yeah. Why the why Barton Theatre? Why, why are you drawn um, to that? I think, well, one of the things that's really exciting about it is that you don't know what you're going to get before you do the interviews. So it's very much like I have this idea, but the story is a mystery. Right. Until you do your research. And I think with these particular stories, it sort of has to be verbatim to be believed in a way. Like there are people I've spoken to who you know, were born in France and then went to Montreal and then went to Oman and then while she was away at summer camp her family moved to Abu Dhabi without telling her that when she got back she'd be living in a different country and then she moved back to France that's one of the stories of one of my collaborators and it's like that is not a story you can write or if you do it's like that's the main story because it's so complicated but I want ten of those people on stage with, with stories equally as complicated and so you sort of have to get it from real life. Because right. if you made it up, people would be like, I don't believe you. Are you doing your own words, though, when you're doing them verbatim, or are you taking other people's words? Um, I don't think that my interview will be in the piece. Right. I doubt it. We've done, sort of as practice, the six of us have interviewed each other so that we kind of know how it works, and then we can go out and interview other people. And also to just get to know each other's stories right. a little bit, too. So we've all got about a 45 minutes or an hour or on tape of, of us just telling sort of where we're from, which takes that long when when we really get into it. I, I, yeah. I imagine <laughs> that is the case. Yeah, but I think the stories that we're looking for, we don't want it to be all artists. 
though actually being an artist seems to have very little to do with being cross-cultural. So maybe, maybe some of our interviewees will be artists and maybe some people will be teachers or plumbers or politicians. Yeah. Right. Well, who knows? We're now getting, and this is fine, I mean, this is not too bad in the background, but now, now the audience are coming out from the, the music that, they've, that we've already heard. Yeah, we sort of tried to catch this, this conversation. You were at the National Theatre. We went to see a, a, a talk at the yeah. National Theatre before we, we came to the Royal Festival Hall. We sort of tried all the different venues on the South Bank looking for a, a place where there would be less background sound. But in a way, the background sound, the bustle, it does oh, seem yeah. quite appropriate to it a does. lot of what we've been talking yeah, about. Yeah, absolutely. I Here we know, are in the uh, middle of London with all the people around us. Yeah, yeah lots of people. Lots of people, maybe some hyphenated people. Another thing that you do and that I know about and I keep trying to intending to come to, although I feel similarly nervous coming into that space as I as I was was in our first meeting. Oh right, yeah. Is that you do a project called Gap, right? Yeah. Gender and performance. That's right, yeah, the Gap Salon. There's another word that I've adjusted my pronunciation because no one knows what a salon is. Gap Salon, which is gender and performance, uh, it's a group that meets, well, we try to meet monthly in person, and then we also have an online sort of community board on Facebook, so you can search for that, Gap Salon, uh, on Facebook, and uh, yeah, it's, we're just talking, it's, the, the goal is to connect people who are working on gender equality issues uh, from whatever angle they are working on it from, and everybody is welcome. So we are, one of the things I've really noticed about feminism in theatre or gender in theatre more broadly, it's not just a feminist group, though obviously it is a feminist group, but it's gender and performance. We're very interested in very broadly what that means uh, for men and women and people who don't fit into a binary. Right. I've noticed that a lot of people who are working on these issues are working really hard in small groups and are often not aware of what other people are doing. And despite the internet... There's a great sort of sense of isolation in in the specific work that's happening. So there's tons of theater companies that are making work by, for, about women that feature women, that feature women artists that are you know women stories. There are a bunch of kind of advocacy groups. There are just so many people doing all this stuff in a basement on their own and I, I really want them to meet each other because I think that's sort of one of the things that's been holding us back for such a long time is that we're not working together or we are but we're, we could be even more right this sort of cross I keep saying cross pollination I guess but this we're all working on the same thing so let's do it together let's support each other's work Let's, you know, I think there are a lot of, especially young people coming to feminism um, who don't really know how to get started and who are asking pretty basic questions that can be answered very simply and then off we all go together and we do it, right? But there's, you know, there's, on the one hand, you've got organizations who desperately need volunteers and on the other hand, you've got people who don't know where to go to get involved. So, So that's what we are hoping to do. So we do meetings, and we also do going out to theater together. So we'll go and see a show that that sort of has a good gender balance, uh, or that is about gender issues. So we went to see uh, what have we seen? Between Us at the Arcola, the Mistress Contract at the Royal Court, Third Lions at the National. I think those are the three that we've seen so far. Maybe there was another one, but I'm blanking on it. So yeah, we'll do meetings and we'll do sort of outings. And we did a, when you and I met, we were working on this WOW party that we co-hosted with Female Arts and the So-and-So Arts Club, who themselves have done a women in theater festival. And so there's, that was sort of a big part of that WOW party was like, oh look, these three organizations that are working on the same ideas. We curated a night of short performances. It was the Women of the World Festival, so we did it all women. And it was just a really great time. That was for International Women's Month, which which I, I'm so glad exists, but I also wish that those things were around the other 11 months of the year. Because I tend to get about five different invitations for things to do in March, and then 
right. silence for a few months after because, oh, we've all done the women's stuff now, so we can get back to normal. Take that book. Yeah. Uh, but we did. We did a lot in March. We did the WOW Festival, and we did a night at the Etc. Theater. They had a women, some kind of women on stage week, women's week, maybe. I don't know. I don't remember what they called it. But we did a showcase night of scenes from the plays featured in Lucy Kerbel's book, A Hundred Great Plays for Women. So we did six of those scenes as a showcase for that festival. So that was a lot of fun as well. But yeah, March was really busy for us, and we're we're kind of gearing up again for the new year, um, looking for somewhere permanent to meet. We actually often meet here in the South Bank Center, yeah, and which, as you can hear, listeners, yeah. not the most ideal place <laughs> for a meeting. Right. Well, so, yeah. I mean, it, meeting up on the South Bank is a luck, lucky ba- lucky dip, really. Yeah, I think. Absolutely. And the thing is, for, you know, I always think once I get here I should really check the schedules and see when things are and what's yeah. going on <laughs> anyway well you think it's such a huge venue you should be able to find a pocket of it and it is great because it is public space that anyone can come into and I, I really really like that about it but it is hard to find a, a quiet corner of it so but when you say so when you say people who are coming new to feminism or, or young young people who are discovering feminism, yeah. I mean, feminism isn't one thing, though, is it? It's not one monolithic thing. Right. It's a lot of feminisms, right? Right. And we're really focused on gender and performance. So it's not general feminism. It's more how are women and men and people of a non-binary gender represented in in theatre but also in other performance most of the people who come are from a theatre background so we're very much focused there at the moment but it's very broad it's very um, open to anyone who wants to come and talk about these things could be dance right. could be art well I'm making a, a one person <laughs> I'm making a one person show about gender for this year for, for Edinburgh so I probably should come along. Oh, do but then yes. I, uh, by what, by then I, I worry that, I, in a way, it almost is, uh, I don't know. I feel like I can be a feminist. I feel like I can, I can have that that label. But I'm also very aware of the fact that women only spaces are, are also relevant. They're also yeah. uh, understandable and uh, reasonable in some yeah, ways. Although there's complications to that because not everybody agrees on who women are and I'm very much on on one camp and as a man it's 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 a tricky thing to be in any camp in feminism <laughs> because you don't want to be telling women what to do and then you meet women who think that other women aren't women and then you have to say ah uh, uh, yeah they are yeah that's well Cap <laughs> Salon is not a women only space right so it is open to anyone no matter how they identify their gender right and yeah it's I could get, I think we could fill the rest of this podcast with injustice of defining anybody's gender for them. For them, right. That's, that's answered my question about what kind of a space would I be coming into. Oh yeah, you definitely be coming into a space where you can be the gender that you are, because we, no matter what it is. Because that's the thing that we do live now in a time, and I think feminism is great that there are so many different voices, so many different people interpreting gender for themselves, that's great. But it, it, it does mean that, that the word feminist doesn't always mean a safe space for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a sad thing. Yeah. There's a lot more to read these days about trans issues, and I think that's a very good thing. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's, I think it's also, you know, I, t- I try not to go below the line right. in those articles, right? The comments can be just horrific. Right. Um, but it's, yeah, I think it's it's a conversation that's being had more and more, which I think is a good thing for men and women and trans people. Yeah, I, I mean, I want men to, like, that's what my show is going to be about, about yeah. how I want men to talk about what it is to be a man yeah. with yes. each other um, and look at how patriarchy is screwing yeah. us over yeah. so that we can all unpick together. Yeah. Like, in, in a way, what you were saying earlier on about kind of unpicking all these things together that that's that's where i'm at but at the same time i mean i guess it's not a new thing there's always been lots of different points of view in feminism there is there's always i mean the people who i 
I guess what we would call radical feminists now although Bell Hooks was a, a, would, would have defined as a radical feminist so I find that, 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 that term in itself quite complicated but, but I'm, I'm very much in the God, this is like where I out myself as a, as a feminist geek I guess but like very much in the Dawkins school of things modern day radical feminist movement that's something that's really interesting about very younger people, even younger than me, and I'm 29, uh, people coming to feminism and, and sort of going, oh wow, this is a great idea, without any of the historical context of the, sort of the infighting and the, the toxicity that has been part of it as well, right. as well as all the amazing progress that we absolutely would not have had right. without, without people, without, whatever their flaws may be, right. you know, voting. Right. Striving for equal pay, right. all this, you know, maternity leave, all this stuff, yeah. it's all very important and, and there's a legacy there and it's complicated because people are complicated right. and, you know, people aren't right all the time. And there's a push, but the, yeah. that's the other thing about having how far we've come, if you yes. like. We have come very far, but yeah. at the same time, there is massive pushback at this oh, moment in time, yes, right? Yes. So it feels very much like we haven't come as far as I thought we had. Yeah, um, yeah, it's always a pendulum. Yeah. But I feel like I feel like our side of the pendulum is gaining momentum. Well, that's good. Yeah, never mind I that hope so. the U.S. Congress Republicans introduced a nationwide abortion ban in the in the House of Representatives today because God forbid they do any real legislating. Anyway, yeah, so the gap, do come along. So I the gap's will. Along. I and it's, the gap's open to everyone, right? It is open to everyone, yes. And we are, I think we'll probably go and see a show for our January event and then have a proper meeting again in February. Um, to be announced. We've got a website, it is gapsalon.wordpress.com and you can just Google it, it will come up. Yeah, check it out. We're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, we're pretty reachable. Right. Yeah, let us know if you wanna if you wanna join us and we'll make sure we get you the details. <laughs> Wicked. I mean the the last because I mean we're we're, we're rounding up our kind of battle to have this conversation. It's been a yeah. battle today. It kind of has. You've been, right, you're not very well. There's lots of things going on in this space. Uh, yeah. But hopefully we're, we're, we're battling through it. And I think, yeah. I guess that's... I hope that's, in the editing suite you can take I'd love to... I, I hope I can uh, sprinkle magic over it in the yeah. editing suite. Um, listeners will be deciding that for themselves, I guess. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean... There we go. It's one of the nat- like one of the things I love about my show is it's kind of DIY. It can go anywhere, nature. Yeah. But it's also one of its biggest kind of flaws because you know if you're DIY, if you're doing it anywhere, you, you have to fight sometimes yeah. through a through a conversation. But it's really get a different kind of conversation than we'd have like in a studio, right? Where everything was sort of perfectly. Oh set yeah, up. We, we we've had a completely yeah. different conversation than we'd have anywhere else, right? kind of a D&D thing yeah, we're, we're in the right place we're the right people we're having that conversation it's good but um, but yeah the last question that I ask everybody is do you have anything to plug so I guess we've kind of covered Gap Salon and you've given yes, a thing Gap for that a big thing to plug at the moment the hyphenated project if anybody out there is hyphenated um, you can find that at my website it's amyclairetasker.com slash hyphenated um, if you are already on the Improbable website looking up D&D, as I hope you are, um, we've also got a blog on their Tumblr uh, that's sort of a bit more about my story and, and where the project sort of came from and where I hope it's going soon. Um, and we are looking for interviews, so do get in touch. Right. Um, I don't know if there's anything else to plug at the moment. I'm sort of... I'm still kind of getting getting my head around 2015 and what am I doing today? What am I doing next week? What am I doing this right. week? I think those are the two big things I, I want to, to say are definitely happening and people could potentially get involved with at this stage. Wicked. Everything else is quite uh, nascent. Well, it's been a pleasure getting better acquainted with you. Yeah. And, 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 and I mean... It's been a it's been a struggle, but a, a pleasant struggle, and <laughs> yes. that's that, that's that, and that's hopefully that's what we can really ask oh, yes. from life, right? It's a pleasant struggle. <laughs> um, and the last the, the last thing that I ask my guests to do is to say goodbye to the audience. Oh, goodbye! If you've made it this far through Beethoven and background, thank you for listening. 
love to see you or speak to you or tweet to you in person or online. Get in touch. I think probably Dave will put my Twitter handle and such. It's at Amy Claire Tasker. Everything's very, I'm very Googleable. And say hi. And for now, goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Devoted and disgruntled that me and Amy both talk about a lot in this episode is happening from the 24th to the 26th of January. It's D&D number 10 and the theme of the conference is what are we going to do about theatre and the performing arts? So if you go over to www.devotedanddisgruntled.com you'll find out more about that if you, if you can make it. I can't really make it, but if you can and you want to, then you should. I recommend it. I wish I was going. Something I am going to be at, though, that I would like to just have a moment to plug myself is the next stand-up tragedy which is going to be tragic winter and that's on the 28th of february it's a saturday at the hackney attic Uh, so you can buy tickets for that already i really recommend buying them we've got a really excellent lineup already and it's not all quite finalized so i'm sure it will be even better by the time that the show happened. The second act of that night is going to be guest curated and hosted by Alice Bell, who's been on Getting Better Acquainted before. So come along to Stand Up Tragedy on the 28th. It really is going to be an amazing night. You can find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter, at UVA Podcast. You can find it on Facebook. It's Getting Better Acquainted. Have a search on Facebook and like it. Or you can find it on the website www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk You can also subscribe by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us that way. And on the Stitcher Smart Radio app, you can download for your smartphone from stitcher.com or through the App Store. There are lots of ways to get better acquainted.